We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Ben. And tonight we are looking at the incredibly epic two-part adventure of Space 1999, The Bringers of Wonder. John Koenig has lost his mind in an eagle over the nuclear waste dumps. He is flying erratically and might crash into the nuclear waste, causing a massive lethal explosion. Not so, says Maya. In an odd piece of science exposition that minimizes the threat from Koenig's bizarre actions, you have to insert nuclear fuel into the nuclear waste to cause an explosion, she explains to Tony, who ought to know that already. Koenig crashes into a dome, and the rescue team retrieves him. The nuclear monitoring team inspect the damage. Luckily, they say, in a point that can't possibly be germane to the plot, everything is okay. It would take sticking nuclear fuel directly into the waste to cause an explosion. Dr. Russell is unable to diagnose Koenig's bizarre behavior, so she attaches him to an experimental brain massager because of course she does. It's his only hope, but she doesn't know what the potential side effects might be. About that time, a faster-than-light ship from Earth arrives, carrying friends and family of the entire command crew of Alpha. Earth now has faster-than-light travel, but don't worry your little heads about the technical details of that, as soon you'll all be home on Earth. But there is something strange. The rescuers from Earth are exerting some form of mind control on the Alphans, trying to arrange the death of Koenig. He is a strong leader, after all, say the rescuers, who obviously have no concept of a strong leader. John awakens, the treatment seemingly successful, but it's clear that his memory of events in the Eagle are very different from reality. Helena excitedly tells him of the rescuers from Earth, and he rushes to meet them, only to scream in mad terror when he sees that they are hideous, putrefied monsters. He goes on an insane rampage, and he must be stunned and restrained. Each time he awakens, it is the same. He sees monsters where no one else does. Clearly, the side effect of the experimental treatment is insanity. For no logically explained reason, the rescuers explain that since the moon is getting too far away from Earth, they must immediately select three people to return to Earth in a small pilot vessel contained within their ship. Through mind control, Tony is manipulated into selecting the three members of the nuclear monitoring team. They leave. However, at the time, Koenig sees that it is an eagle flying off, not a faster-than-light pilot vessel. Maya agrees that the probability that everyone on the rescuers' crew is family and friends of the Alphans is highly unlikely, and since generations have elapsed back on Earth, something might, just might, be rotten in Denmark. Perhaps the experimental treatment on Koenig has given him immunity to their mind control. Maya volunteers to undergo the treatment, and when done, can see the creatures too. She tries to infiltrate them, and when that fails, Koenig, Maya, and Dr. Russell storm the command center, play some white noise over the comm system, and free the Alphans of 
brain control. All, that is, except the nuclear monitoring team who believe they are on Earth. In fact, they are working towards inserting nuclear fuel into the atomic waste, an action which, according to at least two prior instances of foreshadowing dialogue, will result in the waste exploding, destroying Alpha and releasing the radiation that the creatures need to survive. Much faffing about occurs, and finally Koenig stops Carter from destroying them all. The creatures tell Koenig that he is a fool, and they leave. The end well, was that episode really, really enough for a two-parter, or were they just really stretching it out? Um, yeah, you just answered your own question. <sighs> you know, I, I don't remember thinking very much of Bringers of Wonder from the first time around, but it really, and particularly the second half, it, it really just sort of breaks down um, into wasting time. Mm, yeah. <clears throat> But I, I have an important question, and, and this may set the stage. It may speed this podcast up immensely. So we'll just start with this fundamental basic question. Can we explain away all the plot holes by the phrase mind control? Yes. I was afraid of that. <clears throat> I was very much afraid um, of that. I mean, it, within the confines of this episode, yes, because when the very moment when, uh, when Koenig puts forth the idea that, you know, because the way we've been traveling, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know, you know we've only been gone for so many days, you know, but it's, it's like been years and years and decades, I'm loving you in the centuries, and, you know, everybody would be old. And my initial response is, well, of course they are. Why didn't I think about that? You know, everybody's judgment has been severely, severely messed up, which is why stupid stuff like the pilot ship has to take off now because <laughs> uh, of the window of opportunity to get back to Earth, despite the fact that it travels, you know, at, at that it's supposed to travel at hyperlight speeds. I mean, we see all these things as making perfectly, it, well, let me rephrase that. We see <laughs> all of these things in the story as being uh, logically stupid, but because of that one thing, thing that one thing that Koenig points out and Mai then has to concede why didn't we see and you know why why didn't we think of that we have to now give a hand wave to everything I was afraid of that because there's you know some of the things I get it right uh, Tony drawing the names clearly that makes perfect well sense. yeah I mean he's seeing what they want him to see but their judgment I mean again as mm -hmm. Koenig points out, everybody should be old. They should not be looking like this. And Maya has to come in or and dead. say, "Why or dead? Why didn't I realize that?" So not only is she seeing things the way these aliens want her to see them, but obviously her judgment is highly impaired. So it's not just the power of illusion now. Now it is rational judgment. Did the aliens come in a spaceship? I didn't see. Uh, ooh, that's right. Um, huh. I don't think so. Because <laughs> it disappears at the end. Yeah. But just Coney, as they did. Coney can clearly see a spaceship. It's just not the Super Swift. Right. He sees something very alien. Later on in the episode, he's looking at what Russell sees as the pilot ship sitting in front of the nuclear domes. Oh, that drove me crazy. <laughs> Now that now uh, now that is just stupid. I mean, I'm talking within the storytelling confines. Stupid. It doesn't even match with the impaired judgment because uh, Koenig shouldn't be having any impaired judgment at this present time. And yet he sees what everybody else is saying. Yeah, I caught that too. Well, and no, it was he very f he he sees the eagle in front of the nuclear dome. Oh no! Oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. But Helena sees the pilot ship. Yeah, she sees the pilot in front ship. of the nuclear domes, right. not on earth yeah she shouldn't see that but then 
you know what? Neither should we. Yeah, yeah. As the viewer, we should not be seeing the pilot ship. We should be seeing the eagle. Yeah. Even if Helena sees the pilot ship in front of the nuclear waste, um, it, it, she that would be one thing. You know, but the fact is that why are you trying to you know show us the pilot ship? I mean, seriously, uh, you, you've forgotten who your audience is already. If they ever knew who their audience was, I think that's part of that. You know, that's maybe that's it. They don't know who their audience is. And that's why the show got canceled because they never quote unquote found them. Mm. Um, anyway. Yeah. I, uh, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of this episode and <sighs> it's a very cringeworthy episode because there were various moments where I just put my hands, you know, I, I just covered my hands with my, or co- covered my eyes with my hands and just shook my head and thinking this is just bad. And and one of the things, yeah, okay, trying to trying to to put everything in the confines of anything that happens, your brain can be patterned over. We see at one point, and I remember this from somebody's um, probably a review of this episode on YouTube. They took the scene where Maya is transformed into one of these creatures, mm-hmm. and they they immediately see right through her. And they, and I, we can only use the word chase in air quotes. They chase her, right? And I think the person sped it up three times and played the Benny Hill music on it (laughs) to, uh, uh, to make that a little bit more amusing because it's painful. And Maya ducks into a closet and she's desperately trying to hold on to the form of the creature, right? Is she? She seems that's not to what be. I got. No, that's not what I got. What I did got you that get? she was. I got and uh, that she was stuck in that form, and she was trying to get out of it. She was trying to return, but wasn't able to for some reason. I will tell you this: <clears throat> your interpretation makes a hell of a lot more sense because when she finally does change back, she just walks off like <laughs> they don't even notice her. Right. Had she stayed in a f- alien form and had she remained in, you know, th- they would have cornered her and um, then who knows what, would, you know, hilarity would have ensued, I'm sure. But what was preventing her? That's a good question. And, I don't and know. And she didn't even mention it. She makes a reference to it, but it's a very, very vague one. She simply tells Koenig, don't make me do that again. Right. But <clears throat> that was because That's she all thought we get. they were so disgusting. I, well, that's part of it, but I kind of also get the feeling that for some reason, and maybe it's because of the, the telepathic means that they use to stay in contact with each other, maybe it was locking her into the form. Hmm. I mean, granted, we don't know any of this. We're, it's, just, it's all supposition. With all, those, with all that time in these two episodes, they couldn't have kept that line of dialogue that explained that she was stuck in that form. Mm. Don't make me, Commander. I was stuck in that form. It would Any, have been nice. Anything would have made more sense than that. But but you're right. Her fighting to get out of it makes more sense. But there just wasn't anything in it to tell me that one way or the other. I thought she was correct trying to hide. Yeah. So, huh. all right. All right. Well, their writers are much better than I thought they were. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um... I want to point something out that uh, we've I've I've laid into Barbara Bain's drunk stoned under control acting. Oh, many her times. Botox acting. Whoops, many I'm times. sorry. Her, yeah. you know, you know her. Oh, yes, John's gonna do that acting thing. Mm. Martin Landau's is no better. I think Duh. That, I think that may be the first time we've seen him in that zonked out mode, like he is at the beginning of this thing. And I mean, he's just bad at it, too. Sorry, Oscar-winning actor Martin Landau. You don't do crazy dude flying eagle well. <clears throat> no, he didn't. Um, 
did you notice? I don't know that I should pick on that. Everything, everything, I've got such a, a massive length of nitpicks here. Um, did you notice that the first episode was set five years and 87 days into the future, but the second episode was set six years and 325 days in the future? Yeah, but how, you know, but that didn't surprise me in the least bit. I, I just simply kind of went, yeah, well, that's par for the course because as we, we've been seeing, not, ju- not just little tiny jumps in time, we've been seeing the most bizarre huge jumps in time forwards backwards sideways even it's just more of the same i have to assume that that somehow you know one was supposed to be 1912 and one was supposed to be or one was 1912 and one was 2515 and i'm assuming that they must have been you know the first two digits were supposed to be the same whatever it was so it was three days apart but that is not what she said um in the episode um, they also announced it was part one in the opening credits. Is that common for a TV show? Mm, well, they did it with the menagerie. Okay, that's, and that's I, and, an and example I'm, of it. And I'm now about to use an even worse example. Um, uh, Batman, the TV series, did that also whenever they had multi-part episodes. Yeah, but all of them were multi-part episodes. Well, that's true, but yeah, well, true. They, um, they, they were all... I'm just I'm wondering because I remember when I was going through the $6 million man uh, recently, they did not. So you'd watch The Death Probe and you'd watch through the episode and then you'd get to the end of it and you'll end on a cliffhanger and the next week they'd come back and go, Death Probe, part two. Um, Star. Okay, well, again, other episodes of Star Trek, you know, when you get into next gen, um, they've done that. But that's later, so we don't necessarily need to count that. Um, I'm kind of curious as to why you would do it one way or the other. I could see why you wouldn't, because cliffhangers are cool, right? You're like, oh, 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 I need to see next week's show. But if they're telling you it's part one, are you then thinking, oh, God. (laughs) Two hours of this one, huh? (laughs) They're not going to solve anything here. I have to admit, that was my reaction when I saw it on this one. But at the same time, I knew it was a two-parter before it started. Yeah, so, so it's like, you know, okay, whatever. <laughs> and by the way, the, the fact that Koenig is like loopy-doopy, out of control, this is just another example of why when you find a scientific anomaly above the moon, you don't let your commander hop in an eagle no. and fly up to investigate it by himself. Yeah, that I thought that was stupid too. <clears throat> but that's what he always does, right? I mean, maybe he takes somebody with him, but because it's in Martin Landau's contract. Why? What were they trying to accomplish? The aliens. He's a. He's a. Oh, the, the aliens. Yes. With him. Um, well, maybe they didn't realize that it would. You know, the the nuclear waste dump would not explode because there wasn't any. Uh, um, fissionable material in there. Okay, I'm and I, I'm fine. I'm I'm good with that. I was just I'm curious. It's like enough people on Alpha seem to know that you can't do that. You'd think if the aliens could read their brains or lived on radiation, they they'd probably kind of know that. Maya said they were really smart. Mm. The other thing that really bothers me is, uh, you know, because you just touched on something that I found infuriating and that is what the what these aliens need in order to survive now according to maya they needed a huge infusion you know they like you know explosion infusion of radiation 
And yet, they were able to easily survive on the moon simply from the power that was emanating from Alpha. From their brains. Yeah, their brains. Which yeah, honestly can't away. be much. No, it's got to be really small. So if they were able to survive on that, then Koenig's idea of actually giving them their nuclear waste really, Should've to me, worked. seems like a good idea. It should have worked. It should have worked. And, you know, now that I touch on it, I think what they really should have done is the aliens just kept going, right? They just kept going. And, and it's like, all right, turn off all the power on Alpha. But Commander, we'll all die. Do it. Do it. Okay. Nope. Nope. It's not working. All right. Knock everybody out. Okay. Commander, we'll all be asleep. Nope. Nope. It's still working. What possibly could be generating so much incredible power that's keeping them going? Wait. It's me. Knock me Dude. out. Oh, and then the aliens die. Once again, Koenig saves the day because his big brain. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, no. Well, and then there's, I don't know, radiation coming from the sun. That too. You know, uh, uh, we would be inundated dead here on Earth if it weren't for our atmosphere. Wouldn't that be enough? Couldn't they just sit on a, a rocky planetoid somewhere in the range of a sun and... And, and exist. and uh, Yeah, that yeah. would work. <clears throat> and aren't they, um, didn't Maya say that they were kinetically very challenged, which we saw. Oh, that was clear. Yeah. Except when they're in human form. Oh, they're moving fast. Oh, but it's all part of the illusion. But, but if, if that's the case, why do they even need to be there? Can't they just project the illusion without them being there? Well, maybe some of them were. Because they did have to be in close proximity, they said. Like, to influence Tony's mind, they had to go down in close proximity of the video recorder guy to be there. But I would have thought that, well, again, you can explain away any plot, plot hole by saying, well, they just didn't notice the fact that... That Tony's brother and Dr. Russell's mentor were walking, Mm. (laughs) you know, centimeter by centimeter baby steps as they walked through the hallways of Alpha. Uh, yeah all the way and oh and, and here's something oh here's something else um okay. when um helena's mentor how bad can he be yeah oh yeah yeah but um what was going on when he was uh leaning over uh koenig because <laughs> um that was kind of like the end of part one wasn't it yes yeah, what was happening there? You know, so, of course, obviously, we're led to believe that, you know, okay, massive cliffhanger here. Something really big is going down. Uh, this thing is going to smother him with all of his, you know, gelatinous, tentacly, gooey self. And But clearly that wasn't the case. You know, next thing we know, Koenig is passed out. Maybe he fainted. I don't know. But what was that all about? I assumed that he was trying to suffocate him in some way. And that uh, Helen just walked in at the wrong moment. Mm. How convenient. Uh, cliffhangers. It's tough to write a good one. That's true. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't particularly... Um, I, again, it just... This episode just wasn't... It wasn't worthy of two parts. No, not really. I mean, it, it would have worked a heck of a lot better as a single, single story, but as... Uh, they they needed they needed filler. I guess maybe if they had to build sets. Well, you know, when you make two episodes in the same story, I guess you save budget, right? Yeah, you do. Assuming it's not a bottle episode, which frankly this was. 
and and if if the term bottle episode is not in common parlance for our listeners, a bottle episode of a TV show is one that doesn't use any non-standing sets. I believe that's the strictest definition. So, for example, an episode of Star Trek that takes place entirely on board the Enterprise would be an episode in a bottle, bottle episode, Mm. whereas they don't have to make any planets or sometimes not even have to bring in much in the way of guest cast. I mean, it's a a money-saving technique. But another way to save money is to stretch one episode into two parts so that, you know, if you've got the budget in episode A to build a planet, you've got the budget to build a planet B in episode B, you combine the two together, you only have to build one planet and you save money for the overall In the long run. Yeah, Yeah, in the long run you save money. But there really wasn't much in this that wasn't pretty much standard alpha stuff, except for a couple of external shots Mm -hmm. of the domes. And I find it hard to believe they didn't have those from prior episodes. Mm, Yeah. Um, Well, I'm sure, you know, it's possible. Well, yeah, they had to build a Swift, but that's cannibalizing parts. Um, and I would think that maybe some of the standing sets, for one, you know, that they were just a reuse mm-hmm. of previously um, established sets that maybe didn't see regular use, like you know, the command center. Right, or just you know, med lab, just turn the walls around and turn it into the the. Um video guys room yeah i was so happy that they had the little camera crew guy on that oh when yeah when they're com- that was nice that was so jerry anderson yeah i think i think we've seen that in ufo haven't we with a little camera that's like on a i think we have a little cable and just it's just pistol sized and you're like uh future it's cameras sounds yeah now that you mentioned i think you, i think we have seen it pity he's never been in any other episode documenting all the planets the worlds or going to each and every planet and collecting a uh, botanical specimen from each mm. world oh gee that's a novel idea they should do that they should totally do that with a story um <laughs> well with any luck maybe maybe we'll still see one um well, so we have the exceeding speed of light, but again, boy, what does it mean? You know, in the context of a story that everything might be fantasy, it really doesn't mean anything. Oh, no. Oh, anyway, so um, when I was asking what they were trying to do with Koenig, yeah, were they trying to blow up the waste, which didn't make any sense? Were they trying to get rid of Koenig? Wouldn't there have been easier ways to get rid of Koenig up front? Like, um, I don't know, just have him push a button and evacuate all the air and the eagle. No, I, I think it was them wanting to blow it up. And then later on, they're trying to kill him because he's a strong leader. Well, now he's a threat to their plans. That was before he recognized what they were. Their first attempt True, to kill him. Well, but second. But they to also kill him. recognize the fact that um, their attempts to try to control him did not exactly go as planned. I mean, forget the fact that it wouldn't have blown up anyway. It just it, he didn't quite do what they wanted him to do. Mm. I guess maybe he did. He did seem to come to in the last few seconds. Yeah, not enough to save the day, but uh, he did seem to to come true. No, but it was enough for th- for them, you know, and supposedly for the audience to be able to recognize that. Oh, um, he's he's stronger than uh, than 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 we're willing to let on. Um, let's see. We have Maya once again being, what's the word? Not shy. Um, oh, but wanting to get out of the way, wanting to, to leave the people to their celebrations or, yeah. or just kind of curl up somewhere and hide. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know if this still rings true to me. I mean, we don't really even see her remotely start to come out of it until Tony starts getting uh, pounced on by the, uh, uh, the cougar lady. Um, 
I can't remember mm. what her name is. Off, you know who I'm talking about, though. Mm, yeah, yeah, I do. The terror with the cleavage. Right, right, right. <laughs> Um, you know, the weird thing is when I saw this episode the first time mm-hmm. way back when, of course, I was seeing these things on a weekly, uh, you know, one episode per week um, with Maya's reaction. It didn't feel inappropriate. Now, maybe it's because of the order that I saw these episodes in, but at the same time, it felt sort of, yeah, it felt right that maybe she would be extremely self-conscious with the idea of she's she's the alien amidst all these humans who look like they may be seeing their home for the first time in, you know, in however many years, depending on which episode we're on. Um, so I didn't have a problem with that. I think I think the performance in this one was probably better than the last time. I can't remember what the last time was that we saw Maya behave in a similar fashion when they thought they were going, oh, um, was that Journey to When? Mm, no. Have, no. I, I don't recall. But... Here it's a little it's a little more subdued, especially because not only are they going home, but it's all their family, right? There is mm-hmm. this kind of I don't want to intrude on the family reunion as opposed right. to just pure celebration that they're all going home. But at the same time, I feel like that the how do I put this? Maya can't like living on the moon. Or can she? Well, I mean, you know, because every time the opportunity goes to Earth, it's like, well, it's not my planet. It's like, well, neither is this rock in no, space. No, but let's take a look at the conditions she had um, on Psychon. I mean, mm-hmm. that was that was pretty bleak living. And here there are other people around. There's, I'm sure there's a lot more things to do. And as we've seen... In past episodes, there has been some sort of concerted effort for there to be um, a, an air of normality. We saw this especially in, uh, in in the first season, you know, with various different activities. Puzzle night. Uh, yeah, puzzle night, you know, or, or, or the one musician giving a little concert. You know, so maybe it's when things aren't all bizarre you know with aliens projecting illusions into people's heads maybe the social situation on alpha is a very very pleasant one you know maybe better than what she had when she was on psychon because we never saw any uh, anybody else i mean aside from you know mindless drones as far as any psych uh, psychosians go we only saw her and mentor we never saw anybody else right yeah Let's talk a little bit about how bad of a doctor Dr. Russell is. Oh, again? That's right up there with her face. Why not? Why not talk about how bad she is? Uh, One, okay, the experimental mind treatment. Okay, I'll give her that one. All the published research that she has says it's safe. So, you know, yeah, it's experimental, but you're living on the moon. Okay, maybe Mm. we can on this one. But the one that gets me is that, and again, we can try to write this off, but Ben notices eventually that Koenig is being killed and rushes in and has a nice little fight where his stuntmen do and saves Koenig's day and life. Right. Do you remember what Ben postulated after that? Mm, no, I don't. I wonder if there's any connection between the commander's odd behavior. Again, this is before the commander came to. So they're talking about his behavior in the Eagle and this guy's behavior. Oh, that's right. That's right. And Dr. Russell may have said something like some sort of infectious agent. And that's the end of it. There's no more discussion of it. There's no more research. There's no more anything. Ben had a really good idea. He put two and two together correctly, pointed it out to the senior doctor, who then promptly ignored it, went off, forgot about it, didn't do anything on it. And you're surprised by this? 
I'm not surprised by it, but I... Again, we could write it off and say, well, the aliens were mind-controlling her and made her think... But the fact is that Ben came up with it. Ben is the better doctor. Yes, he is. Again, here. And uh, and he's being mind-controlled, too. We know that because his girlfriend was able to keep him from, from seeing Koenig being killed for, for a period of time. But, yeah. I wonder if any of those people, you know, tried to do anything with the aliens. Oh, that's my Ew. Uh-huh. Ew. Uh-huh. Okay, that's sick. Uh-huh. At any level. Even even it's just like, ooh, we're going to kiss them. I mean, we know what they look like. They're covered in slime. Putrefying goo glopping down over it. It's like, ooh. And if the aliens can only insert, in, exert influence at close range, how far would you have to get away before you realize you needed to take a shower? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if there was some kind of physical, you know, intimacy. <laughs> Uh-huh, uh-huh. Alan, particularly. <laughs> he was working everyone in the room. Sure. Um, in his typical Australian fashion. Those typical Australians. Um, <laughs> please don't write Australians. <laughs> <laughs> we know you're not all like Alan Carter. Thank God. He doesn't even have a kangaroo. Um, <laughs> well, that just went south really fast. Um, right. Now, John Coney, commander of Alpha. How many times have we seen the plot where John Koenig is the only person that can see the truth in the story? I mean, definitely more than once. Definitely more than once. And we've most recently had this discussion with um, all that, no, not all that glistens. No, it's, well, it's the one where the reflection creature. Yeah, I think that is all that glistens, isn't it? Well, I don't know either that or that's the one with the cowboy uh, geologist that was shooting the shooting the rocks, glisters, all the glisters. I don't uh, remember now. I admit, you know, consider ourselves lucky. Consider ourselves recognizing the fact that the names of these episodes, specifically the Bringers of Wonder, as an example, are not particularly meaningful names uh, in the context of things. But anyway, you know, how were the crew of Alpha supposed to react? Time and time and time again, John Koenig has, in fact, been right. The cult of John mm. here ought to be... Ought it to should be, be in full in. force. And yet, in the episode where we have the fake John... Well, actually, that's they kind of are, are playing on that in that episode. How many times has John Koenig done us wrong? Never! <laughs> mm. Here we have... We're back to... Oh, I don't believe John. He's done the thing. But, of course, we can just write that off as being the aliens exerting influence on their minds so that they think John's nuts when John is acting nuts. Uh, I hate that. I, I really hate that the fact that anything anything that you can point out in this episode that's that's wrong, you just go, well, the aliens, you know, they're not they're not really helping. Um, yeah, it I, I don't want to call it. Um, it's just not a day since Machina, but it, it does become some sort of a universal answer to everything. Would it be Koenig ex Machina or Deus Koenig? Um, <laughs> well, Deus ex Koenig is, is Koenig saving the day every single time. Well, that's kind of uh, true. But, but yeah, but the, the illusion in this particular case, mm, I don't know. Hmm, I got to think about that one. Uh, anyway, let's see. When we get to the end and Alan's and the guys are driving along thinking they're on Earth in a dune buggy with, I have to tell you this, the most 1970s European model-looking women I've seen in a long time. Yeah. There is something about the look that Europeans used for their models in the 1970s. Very um, not breasty. 
there's a look to their face. And I mean, you see these women is like, wow, that is absolutely. They went straight to the casting agency and said, I need three models, current style, pop them in there. No, but, but what I'm getting at is they're creating this elaborate story for the nuclear testing team, right? To get them to drive along on the lunar surface and go up to the nuclear waste dome and unpack the nuclear weight and the nuclear fuel and insert it into the nuclear waste dome. And yet the story doesn't make any sense. And it's like, well, here we are, we've gone to Earth. Uh, here we are, we've gone to the hotel. Now I'm off. Alan's on a picnic. The other guy's at home listening to his stereo. Yeah. There's no logical narrative to that in their minds. No. So, no, there, there's no logical correlation as to whatever it is that they're doing that, that will correspond with what they're doing in real life. No. Why did they need to spin such an elaborate, illogical fantasy? Wouldn't it have made, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm trying to make sense of a senseless episode, but wouldn't it have made more sense to have something a little more direct? Uh, you know, it's like, okay, you've arrived on Earth, we need you to, uh, you know, you've got to go through decontamination here, bring your stuff over there, go through that doorway. Well, we got a little bit of that, and that But that was... could have been blowing the thing up. They could have literally taken the stuff off of the base, walked it over, and stuck it into the, stuck it into the nuclear furnace, all, all in their fantasy of having just arrived and going through decontamination on Earth. Mm -hmm. I guess that's what I'm getting at it's like they they really seem to have decided all right and now we're gonna let alan go on a picnic and we're gonna let uh washburn or whatever his name is go play swings with his daughter and then we're gonna you know are they trying to be nice to them before they kill him that seemed to be the indication but it i the motivation seems a little peculiar i mean why bother? Because everything seems to be extremely self-serving at the end. You know, so to what? To, to try, are you trying to make the these monsters out to be more sympathetic? You know, by by making them by having them be these bringers of wonder, shall we say? By having them supply the most idyllic fantasies uh, that you can that that people could imagine shortly before dying. Because one of them did tell Koenig that. You know, it'll have an, it'll it'll carry that, uh, it, and it kind of said it in a rather sort of spiritual sort of way, that it would carry uh, that memory with it throughout eternity or something like that. It was very odd. Yeah, it's like you you can have a lifetime in in the, your final moments, and which is better, uh, a real lifetime on this planet or an imagined lifetime at home with your loved ones that you can't differentiate from the real thing? And that's a that's a good question. I mean, that is that that of all the things in this episode, that is the only worthy concept of science fiction. There, which is better. What, what is better about having a quote-unquote real life of 70 years of misery and hardship over a imaginary one of 70 years? I mean, what, what is the difference to you? Mm. <laughs> and, of course, Koenig, you know, you know, and we know Captain Kirk would always choose struggle. Uh, well, yeah he, yeah, he chooses reality. Right, because reality to his mind has some intrinsic value, but does it? Because is reality actually a thing since everything we perceive, we perceive through our senses and through our minds? 
So reality is what our brain tells us it is. And, yeah. I, you know, I, I'm not comfortable with saying that I would take the fantasy. But once you start getting into that realm of thought, you have to start asking yourself, you know, it, it leads to all sorts of questions like, you know, does does time have to proceed at a pace to make it worthwhile? Where would you where would you cut it off? Like, well, actually, it turns out you're going to live five years and you're going to be in pain or you can live 50 years of happiness in an instant and you'll yeah. never know. I think kind of that's where it was going. That it would give you like, you know, 50 years worth of experience and possibly um, even the briefest of, you know, okay, say like, okay, say, uh, let's say for example that there we're, we're looking at five seconds uh, in real time between uh, when mm. they start the, you know, start the process for everything to blow up. So, you know, uh, five seconds time. And so I could see possibly, you know, the aliens giving uh, the the Alphans under their control, you know, 50 years worth of me- uh, of of life, and not just that, but also added memory, you know, so that you know when you have that last second before annihilation, you've still got that li- you know, th- that whole uh, sense of life that you've lived. Hmm. But of course, in this case, in this particular example, the aliens are killing you, so they're giving you a forced bargain, killing you with kindness. But they are killing you. I mean, they are killing you. Absolutely, the body, they are absolutely they are killing you. I I am saying, where would you draw the line if if the aliens weren't actually going to kill you? The aliens have just plopped down and said, "Look, we know for a fact the trajectory of this moon is going to take it right into the heart of the sun in a year, and there's nothing that can be done to change that. You're going to die." Or, so we're here to offer you a 50-year imaginary life in that time that'll be happy. You know, there, there, there. You're beginning to wonder when, at what point, would you make the choice, and you'd switch your mind over and go, "Well, I'm gonna die anyway," or well, this, you know, or tomorrow, was, you're gonna hit the sun tomorrow. Boom. This, this was sort of addressed in um, the the movie The Matrix a little bit, where one of the freed humans decides, you know, uh, freedom is overrated. Mm-hmm. I'd rather live in a fantasy. Right, and I'm sure this idea has has uh, has obviously been around longer than. The Matrix, certainly, certainly longer than this episode of Space 1990. It's just another earlier treatment of it, and we really haven't gotten a a deep philosophical discussion of it uh, at that point. It's just really one of those things is like, well, no, we'd rather, you know, tough it out because that's what we are, not bothering to put it to the rest of the Alphans, but that's what we are. And uh, and they go, well, John, you're a fool. Poof! And then they disappear in a cloud of... (laughs) nothingness mm. on the on the episode um let's see i do want to point out that john coney can beat up absolutely anybody unless it's alan carter under mind control <laughs> i thought that was kind of interesting because earlier in the episode in part one we see john coney is able to you know he's able to kick everybody's ass until they pull a laser on him but in this part of the episode alan's able to beat him up it's like oh just in this one instance where we need a little extra drama on there we have to do that um, oh, uh, I didn't mention my synopsis that they put everyone to sleep to minimize the brain waves, which was emitting the small amounts of radiation that the aliens were feeding upon. I'm, I'm not buying that, but okay. Mm. When he's done and everyone's asleep and he says to Helena, can't you do anything to wake him up a little bit earlier? And he, he says, how am I supposed to run a base of sleeping people? And my thought was... Considering that you do everything anyway, 
Are they yeah. any more than sleeping people all the time to you, Cody? Yeah, he's such a micromanager. I mean, what the heck do the rest of the people on Alpha do? Like, ah, oh, we've got this anomaly. I know. Send John. Oh, wait, I'm John. All right, I'll go. <laughs> mm. I think we need to, you know something? We'd have found that uh, rare mineral that they needed for Dr. Russell's heart if John had gone down and done the digging for it, you know? Give him a pick. Mm. Chink, chink. Here it is. Gosh, John, you're wonderful. Okay, um, and that's it. Oh, you did. Uh, you correctly called it a uh, previous episode a while back. I think it may have been the. It was Space Warp. I remember it was Space Warp. The Larn, mm-hmm. the space creature. Yeah, that can. Except uh, she definitely. She, did she not. gives a reason. She gives a reason, and it's not because it can live in space. No, it lives on a, a, a moon of Psychon that has a very thin atmosphere. And on marshes or something, I think she mentioned as well. But, um, you know, so it's got really tough skin like a spacesuit. <sighs> All right. Well, I guess that's better than... I guess that's better than it evolved to survive in space. It just happens to evolve something that could survive in space, I suppose. Anyway, all right. Well, uh, bringers of wonder. Another episode that we have ticked off the bringers of pain. A rapidly shortening list of episodes of Space 1999. Oh thank God! This, <laughs> I can't imagine what we have left. I know of one that we still have to do. I don't can't remember the title of it, but I, I, I there's one that is in my memory that I'm dreading. Mm. I can't think of any good ones coming on, but, uh, but uh, that that's because anything. there aren't any. <laughs> Well, anyway, uh, I don't have the list in front of me, so I'm not even going to call what we're going to listen to next time when we do Space 1999. But when we do, it will be an episode of Space 1999. Ben, thank you for joining me. Oh, sure. (laughs) Listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Cheers. Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us? Please consider becoming our sponsor at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Stop by and visit us at our website, fusionpatrol.com. Search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol. Check out our Twitter handle at Fusion Patrol. Or just send us an email at feedback at fusionpatrol.com. Please come join the conversation. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf.